I want to tell you that uh, I've been deeply confused lately. Apparently, I've been putting my life and the life of my family in danger by not heeding the warning labels that are on certain products. Let me give you a few examples. Here's the first one. This is a bag of microwave popcorn. And I don't know if you can see it, but it says, do not use popcorn button. But my microwave has a popcorn button. So why would I not use that, right? Here's, a, here's another one. This is a box of Q-tips. I don't know if you can read that. Sorry for the poor quality, but it says, do not insert swab into your ear canal. I don't know about you, but the only reason I've ever used a Q-tip was to insert it in my ear canal. So if I listen to this warning, if I heed this warning, I will never buy a box of Q-tips ever again. Here's another one. Do not consume raw cookie dough. Has anyone ever gotten sick from eating raw cookie dough? Because I don't think so. I think this is a conspiracy conjured up by bakers and Pillsbury to keep me from having any kind of joy in my life. Here's another one. This is on the back of a Nintendo game cartridge, and it says, Do not blow on the edge connector. When everyone knows if you want to fix a video game cartridge, you take it out, you blow on it, you put it back in, it works fine, right? Here's another one. This is ramen noodles, and it says, do not microwave. Every college student is a rebel then, right? Because every college student knows the five R's, reading, writing, arithmetic, ramen, and radiation. When it comes to warning labels, we don't always pay much attention, do we? Do you know what the five most ignored road signs are? You might could guess. Here's number five. That's the fifth most ignored road sign. Of course, you typically find out you've disobeyed this one once you've done it, right? Number four is this one, no U-turn, which I have to admit that I have done this a few times. Um, they probably shouldn't put it at the most convenient place to do a U-turn, right? Here's number three. In Abilene, it would be a yield sign because nobody yields in Abilene. But stop. Now, most people don't ignore a stop sign completely. They say that they just come to a rolling stop and don't completely stop. Here's another one. This is the road sign that you ignore when you're driving 80 miles an hour after it's just rained or sleeted. And the number one most ignored road sign is the speed limit sign, right? And I think all of us have probably been guilty either consciously or subconsciously, intentionally or unintentionally, of disobeying this one. Everywhere you turn, there seems to be warning signs, whether it's on the side of the road, whether it's on the products that we use, wherever. And many of us find ourselves in abject disobedience to some of these. But nowhere is a warning more clear and one that we have to heed than in the Bible. And we see that throughout the book of Hebrews. In fact, we could say that the book of Hebrews is a warning itself, not to drift or not to fall away. But we have a warning here in Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7, that reads like this. The writer says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. As in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he hear or whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Most warnings start with two words. Do not. That's how most of them start, right? And right here we see that. Do not. Do not harden your hearts. This, of course, is not the only time we see a warning in Hebrews. As we said, it is a letter that is a warning. The entire thing is a warning. But it's kind of like the check engine light on your car. Imagine that you're driving down a lonely stretch of highway. The trip is going smooth so far. And then you look down and on your dash pops up that check, warning, check engine warning light. That's a terrible sight. Especially when you're far away from home. Again, traveling down a remote stretch of highway. Because that warning light... That check engine light can mean a lot of things. It could mean something as simple as you didn't tighten your gas cap. Or it could mean something much more severe. It could mean that not too much further down the road, especially if it starts blinking, you're going to have to pull over and you're going to be stranded. But until you get it checked out, you just don't know. Until somebody hooks up a machine to it and spits out a code and tells you what it is, you're anxious, right? You're frustrated. When you look at Hebrews, you're looking at the check engine light. From a spiritual standpoint, you're seeing that check engine light, and the writer is saying, warning, 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 danger, danger, danger. He's attempting to show the supremacy of Jesus. He's been attempting to show how Jesus is better than all these Old Testament customs and habits and traditions that you have. And if Jesus is so great, then the only response to his greatness has to be complete and total submission to him. Utter utter obedience, surrendering fully to him. And if you don't, there's a terrifying fate that awaits you. The writer supports his argument by looking backwards. And he points to the children of Israel as his example. He points to their demise. And what he does is he actually goes back to the Old Testament scriptures and he quotes Psalm 95. Let's look at a portion of Psalm 95. This is from the American Standard Version. I like the way it puts it. It says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, oh, that ye would hear his voice, harden not your heart as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long as I grieved with that generation and said, it is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Wherefore, I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. This is a reference to the story in Exodus chapter 17 as well as Numbers chapter 20. This is pointing backward to a time when the people were thirsty. You might remember that the people began mumbling and grumbling against their leader. Of course, they were really speaking out against God, but they're talking about Moses. They actually said that they wished that they could go back to Egypt. They were wishing for the days that they were in slavery because that would have been better than just coming out into the wilderness to die. And so God tells Moses, I'm going to give them something to drink. Speak to the rock and it will gush forth water. But Moses, in his frustration and in his anger, hits the rock instead. And water still gushes forth. 
But because of Moses' actions, God informs him that he will not be entering the promised land. Here's something that you need to know about the promised land. Every time you see it mentioned in the Old Testament, the promised land means a lot of things. We often see it referred to as a land flowing with milk and honey. But to a Jewish mind, to the Israelites of this day and age, what they would have thought of when they thought of the promised land was simply rest. It was a place of rest, tranquility, peace. So here's what the Hebrew writer is telling his audience and us in the process. Do not fall into the same trap of disobedience that your ancestors did. Do not lose the blessings that they lost. Today, while there is still time, while you can still draw breath, make sure that you trust in full obedience that you act towards God, totally surrendered and invested in a relationship with Him. Because if you don't, if you harden your heart, if you refuse to let God lead you, then you will be giving up that rest. And what is the rest for us? What is the promised land for us? Heaven, right? Eternal rest with our Heavenly Father. A woman showed up for her doctor's appointment. She walked up to the receptionist and she said, I'm here. And the receptionist asked her her name. She gives it to her and she says, well, your appointment was yesterday. And the woman said, oh, no, it wasn't. It's today. I've kept track of it. And she waves her phone around and says, I've got it right here on my calendar. And so the receptionist types it up and looks at it and she goes, you know, it shows here that we we called you three times earlier in the week and left three voicemails to tell you that your appointment was yesterday. And the woman becomes irate. I know it's today, she emphatically yells at the receptionist. And the receptionist is very patient, she's very kind, but she runs out of lines eventually. And the woman, as she's stomping off, says, well, you should have given me a text or an email or something because I don't check e- uh, voicemails anyway. What this woman did in that moment was she ignored the facts even though that they were stacked against her. She ignored what the woman was trying to tell her. She ignored the voicemails. In that moment, she had a hardened heart. And when we look at the hardness of a person's heart, when we look at a heart being hardened, we're not necessarily talking about someone who decides, I'm going to become an atheist. No, sometimes it's very subtle. Sometimes it can be rather vague. You might be saying to yourself, well, Chris, I would never harden my heart. I mean, I'm here at church, right? But sometimes it's very subtle. Sometimes it can creep in. For instance, here are some warning signs that you might have a hardened heart. The first one is this. This is, this is warning signs that you might have a heart condition. Number one, you don't really rejoice and you don't really weep. Maybe you're standing here during the invitation. Somebody accepts it. They go back to get baptized and you sit here tapping your foot saying, what's going on back there? Can we hurry this up? i got stuff to do. I've got to be somewhere this afternoon. I mean, my Sunday is getting taken up by this. You don't really rejoice. You don't really weep. You're kind of indifferent towards everything. A second side is that things that are supposed to be meaningful start becoming mechanical, whether it's the singing, whether it's you know studying your Bible, whatever it is, the feeling is just gone, and it's hard to muster up the passion like you used to before. And that, that brings us to the third one. Passion is hard to come by for anything. It's just difficult to, to come up with the passion and the energy and the excitement. And so you develop this rather jaded outlook on life. And there's, there's kind of resentment to people who do experience joy. You stop genuinely caring. We don't have to elaborate on that one. It's hard to put your finger on. It's, it's kind of vague sometimes. It's rather, 
It's rather subtle, but it's not always this, you know, I'm I'm drowning in in depression and I'm going to leave my faith. It's not always this, I'm going to turn away from God and become an atheist or I'm going to stop reading my Bible, I'm going to stop praying. Sometimes it just creeps in and it settles in without us really even taking notice. It's the individual who refuses to raise the spiritual bar in their life. It's the individual who is lukewarm and loving it. And this is detrimental for a lot of reasons. I'm sure you can guess many of those. But just as a reminder, remember that your heart is valuable. So you need to take care of it. Your heart is valuable. You know, every Monday night, I wheel my trash can to the curb because very early Tuesday morning, the trash man comes by and picks it up and dumps it. So when I wheel my trash can down to the curb on Monday night, I don't guard it all night. I don't stay there with it and make sure nobody touches it. I don't lock it up. You know why? Because it's trash. I don't care about it. Steal it if you want to. It's trash. Not so with my heart. I can't treat my heart like trash. I've got to treat my heart in a way that I take every painstaking effort to guard it, to barricade it, to surround it with righteousness. Because above all else, Solomon says, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. For everything you do flows from it. Everything, your thoughts, your actions, your words, it all overflows from your heart. Your ministry, your marriage, how you raise your kids, all of that is going to come from your heart. It's going to overflow from your heart. And so, if your heart is polluted, if it's toxic, it's going to pollute everything downstream from it. Timothy Treadwell is a name that some of you might recognize. He was a grizzly bear enthusiast. He worked with the grizzly bears of the Katmai National Park in Alaska. I say worked with them. He would walk up to them chanting very softly, I love you, as he would try to feed them. He felt that he could develop a relationship with these cuddly creatures. And many experts told him, you're being too cavalier with the grizzly bears. Quit trying to befriend them. They are wild animals. They don't care about you, and they will devour you in a heartbeat. And Timothy Treadwell was actually quoted as saying, it would be an honor to wind up in bear scat. And guess what happened? Yeah. One morning, park officials found him and his girlfriend half-eaten by grizzly bears because he tried to feed the hand that would eventually devour him. Folks, we can't make the same mistake when it comes to sin. We've got to guard our hearts. We can't become so cavalier that we tiptoe around it or that we even invite it in. Don't make the same mistake. Make certain that you are making every effort to guard your heart because your heart is invaluable and everything flows from it. The fact that Solomon says to guard your heart implies that there's something vying for your heart, doesn't he? There is a combat going on. There is a battle happening. There are casualties. There is an enemy. The devil knows that if he can gain a stronghold on your heart, then he defeats every part of you. And he knows what weapons to use specifically for you, and he aims them directly at your heart. And if we allow complacency, discouragement, disillusionment to set in, If we open the door and just allow him to walk right in, what do you think that's going to be for us? It's going to be like Timothy Treadwell, right? We're going to end up devoured by trying to feed the hand that eventually bites us. We can't make it easy for the enemy. 
He has the weapons of mass destruction pointed directly at us, and therefore we have to not be an easy target. Build a barricade around your heart. And you say, well, how do you do that, Chris? Well, again, look at Solomon. He says in Proverbs 4, 25 through 27, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Does that sound familiar? Sounds an awful awful lot like what Robert read from to open the service this morning. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In other words, keep running in a heavenly direction. Keep running towards the promised land. Fixate your eyes on the finish line and who is waiting there so that when you stumble across or when you cross and you fall into the arms of Jesus... He can say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And don't forget Hebrews chapter 3, 12 and 13 that we read from a moment ago. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do you know what one of the biggest weapons we have at our disposal is? Each other. We are on a team. When you became a Christian, you enlisted in an army. And we all fight for one another. At least we should. Now, you've heard me say before, the church is one of the only institutions that seems to shoot itself. I don't know why we do that so often. But if we all recognize that we're in this together, that we're all fighting on the same team and against the same enemy. It's incredible what we can accomplish. And instead of just enduring what the devil throws at us, we can put him on the run. We can aggressively attack him rather than just kind of hoping it blows over. In 1952, there was a young woman by the name of Florence Chadwick that decided that she was going to try to swim from Catalina Island to the mainland of California. Some of you who know that geography know that that's a pretty long distance, but Florence Chadwick had already swam the English Channel both ways, so this was her next undertaking, her next feat that she was trying to accomplish. The only problem was this was a day where it was really, really foggy. You could hardly see your hand in front of your face, but Chadwick plunged into the water and she began swimming, and she swam and she swam and she swam for 15 hours never making it to California. There were points along the way where she wanted to get out of the water, exhausted, but her mother, who was in a rowboat next to her, said, no, keep pushing. You're almost there. Keep pushing. But finally, she couldn't go anymore, and they pulled her out of the water, and she gets in the boat, and it doesn't take long before she can see the shore. It was only less than half a mile away. And in a press conference later, she said, I think if I could have seen the shore while I was swimming, I would have made it. And I don't know about you, but I can sympathize with those words. I've been there. And I guarantee you, you have been as well. You may be there right now. Where you're treading water and and you're swimming, but it's, it's so foggy. You can hardly see the finish line. This life is a great life. I love this life. But there are days 
where visibility is greatly hindered by trials and tribulations. There are, there are things that get in our way and cause us to be unable to see the promised land. What do you do? Keep swimming. You keep moving forward. You keep going in a heavenly direction. If only Florence Chadwick could have seen the shore. If only the Israelites could have seen the promised land. If only we can see heaven as we're going through this life. How much different our lives could be when we face those trials and tribulations. When we face those foggy days. Don't have a hardened heart. Don't let the fogginess of this life bring you down. And cause you to stop swimming. There are grave consequences to this, as the Hebrew writer states, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You know, as Christians, we often focus more on our exodus than we do on the journey. Have you noticed that? I've talked over and over again the last year or so about how the Bible is one long story, and you've got to read the story with you in mind. You cannot divorce it from its Jewish history, You have to try to read it from a Jewish lens because the people that start out as God's people are the Jews. And there's a theme that's common among the Jews, right? Slavery, exile, redemption. That's their story, and it's our story as well. As Gentiles, we become grafted into the kingdom. When we become a Christian, we find our place in this story. And all of us have been in exile Some of us may be there now, but all of us that are Christians were in exile. We were in our own personal Egypt, bondage, slavery of sin. And at baptism, we were released from the bondage and slavery of sin. And now our life is heading towards the promised land. And what's the promised land for us? It is heaven, eternal rest. Don't resist it. Embrace it. Don't focus so much on the exodus that you forget that there's a journey involved. Too many times we look at baptism as if this is it. I made it. This is the pinnacle of faith. I am there. No, no, no. That's just the beginning. The story of the Israelites leaving Egypt is a magnificent story with all of the, you know, the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. But that wasn't the finish line. They still had the wilderness. They still had foggy days. They didn't make it. At least that first generation didn't. Will we? Like we talked about a few weeks ago. No matter how difficult the journey gets, stay on the right road going in the right direction. Even if it seems like you're inching along at one mile every 30 minutes, keep moving in the right direction. This is not about how fast you can get there. This is just about keeping going and moving in the right direction. You know, I'm often asked to come and speak to uh, different places, different people, different venues about my story. And many of you know my story, you know, the religion that I grew up in, coming from a broken home, you know, being a preacher here in Abilene, Texas was the furthest thing from anybody's mind, including my mind. But one thing that I've noticed recently is when I share that story, I often focus on my exodus more than I do the journey. I tend to highlight my leaving Egypt. I tend to focus on leaving the bondage and slavery of sin, which is important, no doubt. In fact, it's highly important because there is no journey without that exodus, right? 
But the best part about all this is that life is going somewhere. That no matter how difficult it gets, life is going somewhere. That it ends somewhere. And you know where it ends? It ends with eternal rest with our Heavenly Father. So no matter how difficult it may be now, I don't think we'll think two cents of it when we get to heaven and we get to be with our Heavenly Father for all eternity. When we get to enjoy that rest, all of this, I think, will seem minuscule and paltry in comparison. The exodus of God's people was a great story. I mean, with the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea, that's that's a great story. But the Israelites failed to see that it was only part of their story. That there was more to it. That the journey was just as important. Because it leads to a destination. It's going somewhere. This is our journey. And it's going to end and rest if we keep plodding and moving forward. Don't get so caught up in the fog that you can't see what awaits. And remember these words from Paul. Paul just kept moving forward. Paul understood that as long as he was alive, his story was still being written. And the same is true with you. I don't know where you're at in your journey. You may not have even started this journey. You may be living in exile and darkness this morning. Understand that you're here, which presents an opportunity. An opportunity at redemption. Why put that off any longer? Why remain a slave when you can be set free? Maybe you're someone who's, who's having a difficult time in your journey. Maybe your, your pilgrimage to the promised land is not going so smoothly. Maybe it seems like it's uphill and going across really rocky terrain. Maybe you need prayers and support of this church family because, like I said earlier, you have the greatest weapon at your disposal, the church. We're here to help you. I don't know where you're at, but I know this. It makes no good sense to remain in exile or to remain stuck. And so if we can help you this morning, if you're ready to begin that journey, if you need prayers and support of this church family on that journey, let us help you. Luke's going to sing a song. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?